0: plus welcome to screen talk and new arts weekly podcast i'm eric cone joined as always by ann thompson now if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast you may not be able to tell but i'm in the new york office and ann thompson appears to be in a ski lodge somewhere and you want to give us a little bit of a background as to your background this week
1: I'm in, I'm in a cabin in, in the woods. Uh, there's, there's lovely greenery out there. Um, I'm in Sundance at the resort in Sundance and, um, Michelle Satter and and the folks there have have kindly invited me to check out the director's lab, which is in progress. It happens every summer. It hasn't happened live for a couple of years because of the pandemic. And so they're all quite happy to be back together. They have eight uh, fellows who are uh, young filmmakers who are um, shooting scenes this week. It's amazing.
0: You hear Um, about these things from directors after their movies come out, you know, a lot of
1: big films have come out of here. Yeah. And and, and they run scenes
0: with with actors. uh, who There could be major actors.
1: Marcy May, Marlene, you know, amazing list of films. And um, and I got to uh, watch some of it, see some some stuff. Anyway, that I can't talk about, but um, it's it's we know uh, where you are.
0: And and eventually we'll we'll figure out if any of the films that you see rehearsed to uh, go anywhere. So
1: eventually they there's,
0: will. Serious intel there. Well that well that's cool. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to discuss this week before you head into to director's lab land because it's actually been a pretty busy week in terms of upheaval <laughs> in the industry uh, from the biggest studios to Sundance itself. So why yeah, don't we go Sundance. through it?
1: So Sundance itself, uh, the best I can tell. Um, the the There is, of course, no real official um, behind, you know what why did Tabitha Jackson leave Sundance? Well, Eric, what do your sources tell you?
0: So Tabitha Jackson added the Director of Sundance after two short years, both of which were virtual
1: tumultuous under pretty, duress
0: yeah a pretty dramatic time for anyone in the festival space obviously not an easy moment to take on a job and that's sometimes owed,
1: had it worse than most
0: and and this was you know a job that is so many different things it's overseeing programming uh, decisions but also running point on the kind of more political side of the organization to deal with the institute to deal with operational questions and so forth it's a lot to take on for anyone and uh and i think that as far as, as as i can tell you know there was a lot of stuff that that pre- presented a challenge for this person in terms of figuring out her own way through it but we also know that uh in january when there was backlash to this documentary jihad rehab a lot of stuff kind of spilled out into the public about uh kind of a disconnect within the organization in terms of the priorities of the institute the priorities of the programming team, which has been siloed in a very specific church and state way for a while. And I suspect that a lot of that just created a kind of cultural impasse that that couldn't have been resolved any other way. And it's very unfortunate. We've had Tabitha on the podcast. We really like her. She's an important person for the community.
1: A remarkably articulate spokesperson for Sundance. That was her great gift. Uh, she really, really uh, was a good front one woman. And
0: she was but, before she was the director yeah. too. I mean, as for, she was for the at nonfiction side, she was
1: at the nonfiction documentary side for eight, like eight years. I mean, she's been there for eight years. So she's someone who's been inside the institution for a really long time and with very successful within it. Under duress with a very, very tough job over the last two years. And they got a lot of grief for making the decision to go virtual very late in the day.
0: Last Um, year, especially. The
1: the sponsors weren't happy about it. There was a lot of of unhappiness around that and um, a terrible position to be in. uh, uh, God knows. I will say, I mean, I I will tell you one thing, Eric. Uh, I can tell you this uh, definitively from my day here uh, they are not moving that festival out of January
0: which you, I, I think if I, if there was any question about that uh, is probably the right move at least for now I mean here I am in June with the Tribeca festival going on not, not with the word filming it anymore and I can talk about that briefly at the end but uh, you know June is just or is you know not a great time for that festival a lot of people are not paying attention that they they actually belonged in April at, at the I end agree. of the day and, I agree. And, well, the
1: COVID thing has has sense, has yeah. messed everybody up the calendar, but and some festivals have come out. It we've talked about this have come out of it better than others. Sundance and Toronto got the short end of the stick, partly because of the, the time that they were uh, operating in and when surges were happening. Yeah, so, and it was um, especially
0: crushing for Sundance this year because it was such a short period of time, and now they're saying. They're going to remain hybrid what does that really mean supposedly being a virtual festival actually worked well from them for them in terms of ticket sales but that's did, a but whole
1: they ended up way. losing a lot of revenue over the course of the years
0: sure. so hey, you need that live component you
1: had to cut back some of these workshops and 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 labs and and that's part of what uh, I'll be reporting about uh, this week. But so in the meantime, we have Kim Utani, the head programmer, uh, basically getting a little more um, authority inside the organization. But in the. They're, and Joanna uh, Vicente, uh, the new uh, leader who replaced Carrie Putnam, who came from TIFF, who already went through her uh, hazing uh, with the COVID uh, crisis, is now bringing some of that um, knowledge and, and expertise to Sundance. But it's not, a, it's not gonna be uh, an easy time to bring everything together and find a new, a new director who can, who can hopefully bring some unity to the organization.
0: Yeah, and, and it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. Meanwhile, I, I think it's worth noting Tabitha Jackson should be fine. I mean, there's so much goodwill for her and I hope that she lands somewhere where she can continue to make a, a real difference, especially in the nonfiction space. I know there was this whole question of how do you get beyond that to be have a wider role, but the, the doc world really benefits from Tabitha Jackson wherever she winds up. We, wants sh-
1: we should also point out that this was her call. This was her decision. Nobody was forcing her out.
0: So why don't we address some of these other Speaking of someone
1: but... who was forced out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Peter Rice. P-
0: Peter Rice. <laughs> now, big difference. Culturally, uh, <laughs> from an industry standpoint, but that was that was. I mean, Tabitha was a surprise in terms of timing, but Peter Rice was he he was surprised by that. By Peter band. Rice
1: himself was surprised. Peter Rice went into a meeting on Monday that lasted for seven minutes with um the the new head of of Disney who took over. I like had someone was keeping track. Bob of Bob Iger. Thing. So there's Bob Chabek. Now Bob Chapek, I've met the guy. He basically comes off like a beefy football player, you know, in a suit, you know, he's very powerful, he has that vibe of of a man in power, Um, he took um, Peter Rice uh, to the woodshed, he said you're fired you're out, and uh, didn't see fit to explain why. He said, you, you, "You're not a good Let fit." Let the
0: media figure with it the out the new
1: Disney uh, organization. Now, let's let's Peter Rice is someone I've known for years, uh, basically from the time he was at, at Searchlight. He he rose up in the ranks um, over uh, at Fox. He 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 was a, a movie executive, high level, and then he moved over to TV, and he was very very close to the Murdochs. And, and Rupert Murdoch had him basically grooming him for all these years uh, to become a powerful executive at Fox. And then Disney bought Fox. So part of what happened there is that a lot of the Fox people basically didn't uh, last. Rice lasted longer than most. He was hugely successful with Dana Walden, who's in charge of all of TV and now is taking over his job.
0: It's good for Dana Walden. I. A couple of stories about this have mentioned how she brought Onyx Collective into the company. That was with, interesting. Of the weekend of the Oscars, I went to a party at Dana Walden's house for Onyx Collective, which Bob Chapek attended and posed for a few awkward photos did alongside. you talk to him? Uh, I did not. Uh, so, some other indie people took advantage of that opportunity and weren't quite sure what to make of it. But it, the, the disconnect was very clear. And what was also clear was he knew this was a place he should be. You know, that this was whatever Onyx Collective was doing, it's actually a fascinating initiative led by Tara Duncan to create um, space for film and TV co- projects for people of color, um, that, that it was something that Disney needed to show support for. And so it makes sense in some ways, you know, it was at Dana Walden's house, you know, that that she is sort of leading the charge of, of change within Disney, which is obviously a very hard company to instigate change within. And, you know, I, I didn't see Peter Rice there. so. There, it's I great, did
1: see Peter Rice at Cannes, and he was at the, uh, the Baz Luhrmann-Elvis party, and that was because he has a close relationship with Baz Luhrmann.
0: Right. He was the right. one who
1: Greenland, uh, Romeo and Juliet. So, uh, uh,
0: so we'll see where he yeah. lands in that respect. I mean, certainly this is another. So he, know,
1: well, I here's the know. deal with Peter Rice. He's a very well regarded, uh, successful executive. It, people in Hollywood were just aghast, aghast at the way he was treated. Uh, at At the summary, the sort of sum, he was summarily shown the door, and um, aghast because there's a lot of perception that he was waiting in the wings to take over for Bob Chapek.
0: There's no question about it. I thought he
1: was. I thought that was going to happen because chapik has been messing up so badly yeah. and and really not handling things well from Indian johansson to to florida you know um there's been missteps all along the way very much in the communication sector and um, and he's just not perceived as a creative executive who understands how things are done in hollywood he comes from 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 the you know the the commerce side of, of Disney. He's really not a creative. The so I would say, I would say that that uh, his contract, one of the reasons the other thing everybody noted was that the, the Disney board saw fit to approve of this action and support Chapek because he's only a few months away from his own contract expiring and they haven't renewed it yet.
0: Yeah, it's a real open question what's going to happen there. I mean the Disney the Disney drama has never been more fraught in the public eye. You say but what they're you doing want about doing well.
1: They're doing well. The streaming went well. Everything went well. So, so why is he breaking something that isn't fixed? And the other point that, that has been made, and I agree with this, um, is that. God forbid things start to go badly. Right. They have a string of flop. It's not going to happen. Obviously, they've got Marvel. They've got Star Wars. They've got, uh, you know, Mandalorian and and Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi and everything else going on over over at Disney Plus. But they still something goes wrong. He doesn't have a fall guy now.
0: Well, I mean, the devil's advocate say what you want about all the ways that that Chapek screwed up. Maybe he needed to screw up to understand how to play within the D- Disney ecosystem. You know, to to you have to do you certain Rice? things.
1: Rice, Rice had to learn how to play. You know, I'm
0: something? talking about I'm talking about Bob Chapek in the sense he's that he's always he can get been
1: a- inside the D- Disney ecosystem. Yeah, he, but I'm saying he knows how a- to play in there.
0: As, as In terms of, of dealing with the, the talent and con- the, the content on the content side of things, he was a theme park guy. Now he has to figure out, well, how do you deal with things like keeping keeping the, the actors happy and not rebelling against you? And pl- Politically, how do you project a certain kind of image? And then you can also deal with the fact that there are other people who are kind of jockeying for your position. I mean, they, they, that feels pretty critical to me that people were saying, this guy could replace this guy. No, well, and I don't think Chapek
1: liked it one big, and the way that they're spinning, um, uh, I find it fascinating. You, 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 when you're watching, when you're when you're reading the coverage of something like this, and I was traveling to Sundance yesterday, so I was like tweeting and and uh, slacking with our team and everything, but I wasn't writing about it or, or getting on the phone. Um, you can tell when the spin has started, when all the different people who are writing about something pick up the same idea and the idea being it was all about Dana Walden and they were rewarding her for for being such a successful executive. The line that kept getting
0: repeated was like this was a business decision it wasn't a personal decision.
1: But they were trying to get away from the perception that he was a weak leader getting rid of a strong threat.
0: Right but come on now I mean it's right it's it's so I mean I think if you look at the personalities in play and you look at the factors involved i'm sure it was several different things and it was easy enough if he could get away with it and like you say the business is doing well enough that he can get away with it he gets away with it so we'll see. And it, then it's a question of what happens next so and meanwhile back in our our smaller sphere of things the academy has a new ceo Bill yeah. kramer he's very well liked he's not a disruptor it's it's it's, it's no hardly
1: a- he, he saved time. the day he's the white knight who came in and saved right. the day when white was going to hell in a handbasket so he basically put everything there was a a train that had to, to to make it stops and get to the opening of the museum and he did it and he made decisions and he was decisive about it and and he didn't um lally gag around he was incredibly forceful and and made it all work out. And no, they, it's solid. not like all
0: the press has been glowing for this thing. They had That's backlash right. about and not comes, this, but let's the be display. the in. And-
1: he's a museum curator he's not someone who's who's been in the movie business forever but he's obviously an administrator able to lead a large organization and and do so relatively smoothly and he also raised money and he also made in the the museum is perceived as being successful at this point so they they want a steady hand at the tiller they want someone who can really um, that they can rely on and and get them through the next Phases of the academy after a lot of disruption. There, a lot of uh, really crazy Oscar that. shows, and right, right. <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of criticism of Don Hudson and uh, President David Rubin. She had eleven years. She brought in all the diversity that needed to to occur. They diversified,
0: uh, after, they're more international after Oscars.
1: So I very very uh, big move to make the memberships much more diverse, much more, much younger, much more global. You're right. It's up to about 25 percent of the Academy now. And you can uh, see
0: it to some degree the results of the voting and so forth. So there's there's value in that. But then the question is, well, what happens now? How do you strategize to fix the Oscars? And the conversation we have year after year after year about this lucrative deal that they have with ABC, speaking of Bob Chapek and making a turning the Oscars into something people actually want to watch. Is that even possible anymore? Or does this have to go to streaming? All that stuff no, now is yeah.
1: his- The other way you can look at it, if Bill Kramer comes in uh, as the head of the Academy and also running the museum, and they'll hire someone else to, to help do that, um, it, ch- it tells you that the museum is what's important to them in many ways. The Oscars are no longer going to be what they've been. You know, they're going to toddle along in in a kind of diminished way for a long time. I don't see a way for the Oscars to turn into something, anything resembling what they used to be.
0: They still have an obligation to try and make it work. Of course, try to make it work well, and it's worked really badly for a long time. I mean, it just hasn't been a successful show year after year, whether we're talking about ratings or like just... Well, experience.
1: the ratings were up this year. But
0: <laughs> well, they, but come on. After the train station experience of, of uh, the great train station experience of 2020, I mean, you know, it's all relative. So, or do I mean 2021? 2021. What are, what are we talking?
1: Of... Oh, train station was 2021. Yeah,
0: 2021. It's all a blur. Though, Even Soderbergh
1: really uh, issue yeah. of, of Oscars.
0: Right. Everyone doesn't want to mention that, so... Well, you know, this we're going to get deeper into this as the season goes on. I mean, there'll be all these questions of do you want to host? Do you do do you change the nature of the program in a way that that uh makes people want to watch it irrespective of whether or not they've seen the films. Doing a best fan film is not the way to do that because apparently a bunch of bots got Zack Snyder an uh, an honorary oscar or something. So which
1: brings <laughs> up Minamata.
0: Minamata yeah,
1: <laughs> was and the other was the other uh a uh, movie that came in third, uh, surprisingly, a Johnny, a Johnny Depp movie um,
0: it, it premiered in the Berlin Film Festival, like two years ago. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot watched of
1: watched Minamata. I, I, I saw it I'm too. curious. It's not terrible. It's It's it got kind of bad reviews it. and it didn't do any business. And so it's it's not on his positive ledger. I would say it's
0: dull. It's, a if you
1: look, it's, it's sincere and he gives a character performance a lot of credit there. as an older mm-hmm. photographer who wants to redeem himself but interestingly he's an alcoholic who who's you know drinking out of a flask Doctor. the entire time
0: well whatever. Be the way that johnny Dup has Giff never really first to operate life. his 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 on-screen personas aren't necessarily so far removed from who how he behaves out behind the camera so, um, can we talk so,
1: about whether he's he's a you know redeemable uh, himself as yeah, as a, as a movie star?
0: Doesn't seem likely. No, <laughs> he mean, has to as, clean as, up his act.
1: It, it's pretty unanimous. And when I have talked to a bunch of people, um, if he wants to do it, he has to do a Robert Downey Jr. He has to turn his life around and really you know show up on set on time and prove himself and not ask for money and and try to make some quality uh, films to do, give some quality performances. See if he. He can work his way back into hollywood's good graces
0: assuming people even want him there in the first place i mean what kind the of fans do is there, in there but i mean yeah. what kind of project i mean i'll be curious like i mentioned this last week he's got that my when project if he starts doing some prestige stuff internationally with people who want to work with him and that work ends up being really that is good the thing one thing movie he
1: has there. coming up he's playing louis the 15th yeah and, i mean who and, knows and, you know we'll see
0: yeah it's it's really hard to say probably another
1: it, over the top foppish kind of thing but we'll see.
0: But the other the other thing this gets It'll into they will be
1: financeable is, in uh, in overseas markets as opposed it, to sure, studio sure, projects. Sure.
0: We, which is where a lot of stars have, have sort of migrated and I think this gets into the the other thing we were going to talk about today which is that you know what kind of movies can a star like this even get themselves into when what studios really want is temples this week Jurassic World Dominion comes out and it's got like tons of stars in it it's got tons of CGI and it seems to me really reflective of the biggest challenge of the tentpole blockbuster model which is that you can invest a lot in these movies and they can come out really badly and the ROI is questionable I mean I'm sure the movie will do some business but if it was Better If it was more satisfying to the multiple generations of fans of Jurassic Park that it seems to be trying to speak to, it would ha- definitely do better than whatever is around the corner for it. I mean, I just feel like word of mouth on this movie is going to be pretty bad here's the thing a great movie
1: here's the thing um i've i suffered through this movie um i really d- enjoyed seeing the return of of the folks from the from trio the film. so sam neill and laura dern and jeff goldblum are hugely entertaining and i i loved seeing them they need
0: a podcast they-, <laughs> they need to do what we do every week. <laughs> i love them i'd, I'd listen but- to that
1: but you know, and and the, but Chris Pratt uh, and and the the you know running away from dinosaurs is getting uh, and Bryce Dallas Howard are very tired, very very tired. And the plot they came up with um, a ridiculous clones. plot,
0: bio weapons, ridiculous
1: also. ridiculous plot. And so you you you, it's like it's really long, and it's really noisy, and it's really tiring, and it Planned. becomes hugely repetitive. And it becomes assaultive. And so I just uh, am despairing uh, that, that this is considered, um, you know, something that they would green light as a script that, that they would even let it get, get made. But here's the thing, uh, Eric, these people know something we don't know. It's actually gonna play for audiences. It's actually going to do well believe it or not you you will see it may not be one of the biggest ones in the franchise but uh, and i hope it's the last one um, but it's not going to be a dismal disaster at the box office like you might hope
0: what is well what does well even mean anymore i mean like is it going to perform i mean the first the first jurassic world movie. first
1: of all you have to look at how much did it cost so if it costs 250 million dollars over six hundred million dollars, you know it so, opened overseas first
0: so it'll it'll maybe inch towards that. but I mean there there's still something what I find frustrating about it is that, there's no reason why it can't be a good movie with those kinds of actors, with the nostalgia. I agree with you, play. 100%. I mean, this is, you're watching it and you're like, why why that? Why is line? this the story? That yeah, I mean, the, and the thing is like... Why this, is
1: this the dialogue? Because Colin Trevorrow has to take the fall for this. Yeah,
0: it's... Because he wrote man, it
1: and directed it. And there's, no there's no one else right? to blame.
0: His arc is, is you know, Sundance Breakout with Safety Not Guaranteed, a totally which charming I movie, Which I loved. Which did love well that commercially movie. for what it was. Was, and and then catapulted him into studio land and this was the project that he landed was this franchise so i think that it, it does sort of provide a reminder that just because you you can do something kind of intriguing on a certain scale doesn't mean that translates into some big pre-existing ip and it's just there's no excuse for the movie not to be good when you think about the fact that it does have those three actors back there and you don't even need the younger actors i mean you could you can Find a way to write a story for them. Well, that that's, what the new, that's what the that's
1: what the recent have. generations have been have been hanging on to, and that's why Chris Pratt is a huge star. Um, but we we shall and see. The,
0: and then you have the Spielberg part of it, where it's like it's like Spielberg has become a brand for decades now. Spielberg is a brand, and it's like trying to like translate the Spielbergian aspect of the original, but the awe becomes kitsch. You know, it's like there's something about that where it's like. Top Gun is not a nostalgia play. I mean, it it has a nostalgia element because people remember the original and it uses that as a plot line, but it also is a, a pretty good movie in its own right as a Top Gun movie. And this one... Just feels like it's totally reliant on pre-existing formula, and I feel like that's what writers need to be talking about. What's new here that works? There are a
1: couple of moments where you have this little sort of lineup of actors um, standing in the middle of what was once a soundstage, you know, and they're playing against a green screen, and they're trapped between warring um, m- monsters, and 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 those two uh, big, uh, you know, T Rex versus whatever the other one is called, they. They've been going at it before. This is not the first time they're fighting with each other. And and, at night, too. And you see these these actors sort of go, you know, staring at at the void in horror, caught on a soundstage in, in the middle of nothing and trying to run to get out of the way. And it's absurd. It is one of it's. It's like how could this scene exist? I don't. I don't care movie?
0: about like you can go. I actually like what Spielberg did with the Lost World, the sequel. I think you can go kooky and strange. I like Biona ba- ba-
1: ba- I think Biona's Well, there was job. some innovative action it's there, that was job. also a, a good scene in that one.
0: Yeah, but, but you uh, just have enough. to have a reason to make it work. Well, any, anyway, we'll put that we aside go. so you can go be uh, in Sundance mode. And, and next week, I look forward to seeing you back in LA. And you can tell us how it went. So good luck out there. Bye-bye, Eric. Bye.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.